Today we have Logan Graff. He is not just a CPA, but he is also the chief tax officer at the Graff Tax Company. Outside of being an experienced tax compliance and consultant for many, many industries and entities, he's also an awesome YouTuber. You got to check him out on YouTube. Logan Graff. He's got some great stuff. This guy is so transparent and vulnerable. It's actually quite refreshing for this industry. You're looking to hire your first employee. Yeah. Tell me about um, how you're feeling about that. Cause I remember my first employee. I'm, I'm like really excited, but also terrified because I have no idea what I'm doing. And I think I want to try to not get too much input from everybody. Cause I got, I have gotten some good input so far and, but I'm trying not to ask too many people how they hire. Cause I don't want it to like influence how, you know, just something natural for me. And so I kind of want to learn the hard way as well. That's, that's kind of how I do things. So taking yeah. little bits of here and there and the first, I have a first interview on Wednesday. I've only sent out one interview uh, request so far. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Hiring at scale is so not as much fun as hiring your first five team members, maybe even your first 10 team members. There comes a time where you don't even know who they are until they are employees. And that feels... It feels different. And um, mm -hmm. I remember uh, my first, uh, it was an employee, it was a contractor. I just picked up a CPG company out of Boston and um, they were scaling. They were scaling fast. They were raising capital. And I was just like, oh, I need to figure out how to like, I don't, I'm not a bookkeeper. So I didn't even know how to use QuickBooks really. And so I, I like, I just tried. Then a friend of a friend kind of showed up at the doorstep and I'm like, oh, I can do it. Ultimately, she couldn't do it, but it was uh, it was a learning experience. Like, okay, all right, now I need to fine tune, not just because I'm I'm very much like a relationship guy. I kind of get that gut feeling, and uh, which, by the way, has done has done us well. But at scale, you can't it can't be by gut anymore, right? There's got to be it's got to be more methodical, and it does. Yeah, it's got to be more HRish, HRI. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm hoping my first hire is like. Well, it's not like a full, full-time role. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't work right. out, it's not too much of an impact on me. So that's good. It just needs to happen before next tax season, or I'm going to like quit the industry because I don't want to work that much anymore. Yeah, It's a lot. <laughs> or, if, or if I are a third of my clients, so I can, I can switch either of those hopefully. And hopefully I don't need a fire. Everybody. Yeah. My first hire, it wasn't really a hire. It was like, and maybe it wasn't first, maybe it was second. It was actually Steven Byler. I kind of, I was really looking oh, for really? someone a little bit more elevated because like you, you're, you were, you, you are neck deep in the customer work. Um, especially when it's deadline driven. Um, mm -hmm. I was doing fractional CFO services up in, mostly in the Boston area and New York city. And it was just like, you know, 30 hours of customer work and then 10 hours of like, uh, administrative stuff. And then 20 hours of 
trying to find more customers. And uh, mm. I knew I knew rather quickly, do I hire up or do I hire more entry level? And I knew I didn't have I didn't have the capacity to like train people. And so I ended up mm-hmm. well, somehow I ended up with a business partner, right? <laughs> Neither here or there. It was best decision I ever made. And I brought him on. It was a gut feeling. There's a lot to be said. Especially the first five, ten hires was definitely a, a lot of gut feeling. After that, it was a lot of interns that turned into like really good entry level uh, team members, and now have been with us for four, five, six years. And actually, Corey is you know Corey's a shareholder here now, right? After a few years, okay. So wow, congrats. good job! It's a leap. <clears throat> I'll yeah. tell you that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited. Like I don't. I, I'm honestly surprised I'm going this route because I thought I was kind of be a, be a solo guy. You know, I first started my firm, I had some big dreams for a big firm. And then I'm like running the firm, I'm like, oh man, hiring somebody seems like even more work. And so I kind of just like, what if I just run in a really efficient firm and not have to work that much? But now I'm like working a lot and I want to get out of, the tax prep game. Well, doing most of the tax prep Mm -hmm. and would love for someone to, to take it over that wants, wants to do it. So I'm kind of moving on to building out a CAS practice a little bit. So having someone to focus on most of the tax returns would help me a ton. Yeah. That's, um, it's sometimes good to like walk in those shoes so that way your first hire can slip into your shoes so you can focus on other higher value or you know different directions different different growth mm-hmm. areas um, because mm-hmm. it's always so comforting to know at least for me on the CFO side right in FPNA side it was always so comforting for me to know like yeah I can hire this individual but if they screw up I can always jump back into it I can do the yeah. reviews. I can go into the models. I, I can I can figure out the the spreadsheet. Um, whereas with bookkeeping and accounting and never mind tax, I had to know like when I was when I was about to build that side of the business. Yeah, I'm not like you just didn't want like you don't understand the platform, and so it was scary. Right. It was scary. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this conversation isn't all just scary stuff. So I had the uh, pleasure of meeting Logan in uh, over at the uh, Ignition Council, Ignition Customer Council, and um, that was fun. I had a great time with uh, with everybody there. So tell me, like, how did you get into using Ignition? I'm, I'm curious because I want to talk to you a little bit about some of your tech stack. Yeah, I actually pretty much started Ignition when I started my firm. There wasn't like a a leeway. I'm, well, I kind of, I maybe did a few proposals in like Adobe. Uh, so at the prior firm I worked for, uh, <laughs> we did all the engagement letters through Adobe and it worked okay. It, but it was pretty manual and, you know, didn't have any kind of billing feature. And I was, so back when I started my firm in 2020, I was really into Ron Baker and his book, mm-hmm. Firm in the Future. And I was, I had my head like, okay, I need packages and I need three packages. 
Right. And that will help me be able to sell more and make more money if I can make them run into the middle package, essentially. Uh, and so Ignition had just launched their three packages basically when I started my firm. And I was like, this is like what I want, want to do when I'm getting new clients. And so presenting them with three options mm -hmm. is awesome. And then Ignition was doing that right then and there. I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. And it, it, the timing was perfect because they had just launched it. And I, as the, I was being trained on it, they're like, yeah, we just added this feature. And I was like, yes, this is the best nice. ever. Uh, and so really I went, start, started my firm, then pretty much immediately started using Ignition. And I think I just found it through Twitter. So other people were talking about it and um, just some people that I looked up to used it. And, you know, the cost, it was like 175 bucks a month or so Yeah, starting Keep off. Going. And people are really afraid of the cost. But like, I was like, well, if it will help me sell more work, it'll pay for itself really fast. Uh, so it's on autopilot. It's great. Yeah. It saves me a ton of time and it can run on all autopilot and build, build for me and sell for me. So I don't need to sell. I'll, I, I, I pretty much let ignition sell my upper tiers for me because mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't, uh, maybe eventually I'll, I'll get more into the salesy role, uh, marketing role, but You're a pretty good sales guy <laughs> without trying <laughs> without. Yeah. So that's nice when you can start off de novo and slip in all the tech and processes systems that you envision a future state looking like mm -hmm. it took us i remember when we when ignition started calling us back in 2015 and we're like there's no way we're paying for this we we can't we're still we're doing like 90 percent of everything we do is hourly because we had bought a business too that everything was hourly and it, mm. it just wasn't worth it for us and then sometime in 2016 we started changing up our revenue model and we knew we wanted to go there. It's just like, well, well, you can't, it's not, you can't just like flip a switch for legacy customers. That's changing mm -hmm. behavior. That takes a long time. And uh, fortunately for us, we just got enough, like enough momentum with legacy customers. I mean, new customers were easy, right? You just kind of train them the way you want from day one, as long as they believe in your proposition. And we started using them and we're like, oh, this is great. And we started eliminating a position and reducing hours or, or reallocating hours that otherwise would have been focused on uh, putting together engagement agreements and hounding people for those damn signatures and then, oh yeah, and then collections and then collections and you're always behind the eight ball. I mean, our collection, like our days outstanding eight years ago is probably close to like 75 days. So call it two and a half months. All the while you're oh, paying wow. your team members like once a week. Yeah. You're floating a lot of people, right? You're floating. It's like you're your customer's bank. And uh, yeah, this is the best thing we did. And then over time, like pretty much 100, I mean, I would say 100%. Well, no, 99% of our revenue flows through uh, Ignition at this point. And uh, mm -hmm. it's great. And uh, I agree with you, like those options things. So Logan and I and uh, Stephen Byler did a, a webinar. I think it was like first or second week of January. 
around uh, this notion of like flattening the curve around capacity. And uh, we talked extensively about ignition. Granted, it was an mm -hmm. ignition sponsored webinar, but it was really about like giving customers the option. You talk about like not being a sales guy. Well, that was a nice thing also during this last tax uh, season, uh, trying to get all those engagement agreements signed up, giving people the option between filing on time or filing on extension or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, paying us up front and whatnot. And uh, I actually yeah. got some of those uh, stats I wanted to share with you uh, coming out of awesome. that webinar. And, I was uh, going to ask about that. Yeah, it was not as good as I was hoping. But it never is. It's the first time. <laughs> what was still worked a lot? Yeah, Are your team work. still worked a lot? Um, no. So, oh, oh, okay. So from the flattening of the curve? No, totally. Um, this was a very favorable tax season for the team. Okay. And uh, Tom Jurgen even said, like, he didn't even, I don't think he worked Saturday and Sundays, right? He didn't, right? Okay. Uh, he may have put in one Saturday, the Saturday before, because I think um, tax filing date was straddling a weekend this year, right? Mm -hmm. Not that I remember or no. But um, it was successful in in like tampering down the peaks of capacity utilization. But what it also did was it shifted a lot of the work. So we had folks who signed up for on time, but they ultimately had to be filed. We had to file an extension because certain things weren't ready. So even though they paid more money to be on time, it shifted off. Right. And so it's like, hmm. it's, yeah, and people can be like, well, you got extra time, you know, you got from, call it May to September, but there's still this human behavior of, oh, thank God it's April 15th. I can now like chill for the next few weeks. And it was uh, it was a little bit like, hey, guys, this isn't chilling out for the next two weeks because we didn't come off that crazy uh, Saturdays and Sundays and 10-hour days. Um, right. And... The other thing that happened that we didn't foresee is even though it helped us, it didn't change human behavior on the customer front. Because as mm -hmm. soon as you get somebody that maybe paid, call it an extra thousand bucks for on time, there's no longer that, that urgency. And now the customer, are the, they're dragging their feet. And so this yeah. month, this month, I think, I think we'll be lucky to file 10. That's not good. Not when we all had, of June. Yeah. All of June. Cause people mm. are just out of commission. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm afraid that we have essentially shifted the peaks and troughs. Yeah. We've pushed it out four months. So I'll let you know what happens. And that's October. what happened to me last fall. And it was like, holy crap, like this is the busiest fall I've had in a while. Right. Because I did not set proper limits and guardrails for my clients. And so I was getting, and I just didn't stick to my guns as much with, with some friends who had a lot of entities. Mm. And so uh, I got, I just got slammed in September and October and that was not fun. And then all of a sudden you're going into tax planning mode. Yep. And if you have a lot of people that signed up for that back in December and you don't realize it or back in January when proposals went out, you're like, oh, shoot, I have 20 tax planning engagements. And it's like middle of November. <laughs> that kind of happens. Right. To me. So it's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and then yeah. it's all of a sudden you're like, 
busy season and then you're just like ah <laughs> and then you're burned out so here and then here we are so but i've i've learned you know i just sent out last week was a deadline for my business entity extended returns mm. uh, it was the information deadline 615 uh, i did it real early and um it got it got some attention i i had two business clients like give me all their stuff last week usually they would give it to me like August or September. <laughs> yeah. So that that's going to help out a lot. And then my personal information deadline is I scooted that a month earlier as well. I think it might be in August, early August or so. So mm -hmm. I have like two months to, to work on their return and they have to give me their stuff two months in, in advance. Right. So I'm hoping that helps. And if I hire somebody, by then they can help out. So that's, that's kind of like their testing grounds is this extension work that's coming and up. It's a good, yeah, it's good work. Partly because you've already probably, you know, you're, you've already wrapped your head around some of the things too that you need. And it's not that mad. Uh, it's not that pressure, but uh, mm -hmm. Logan, to give you a sense. So we, I think this, this uh, is dated April 15th. So for 2022 tax, like tax year filings, doesn't include any amendments or prior year tax returns, et cetera, that we did this year. Uh, we, uh, we sent out 196, 182 got signed, of which 91 was on time, 84 was on extension. There were, of the 91, I think only 75 actually got filed on time, which now means, call it 25, have gotten shifted over and some of these are waiting for things like R and D tax credits, uh, mm. fixed asset schedules, um, distribu uh, distribution uh, schedules, and mm -hmm. um, and ultimately you have a low. So in our engagement agreements, on the uh, for the extension filings, we have July first as the drop dead date for September fifteenth, and we know. I, I have my gut tells me that there's no way that like there's no way a hundred tax returns are coming. No, maybe not a hundred. I think it's fifty <laughs> are going to be. You know, all that information is going to be coming in the next two weeks because um, we we just you'd have to pay somebody to police this stuff. Uh, we use. Have you all sent out reminders? We do. We use Carbon to send out reminders. And I had a little talk with the team. I said, "Hey, it's okay to pick up the phone. Not everything yeah. you know, has to go through email. You can text them. You can pick up the phone." And you can pick up the phone again, um, but it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not easy. Um, there are, oh, I, yeah. I can relate. I hate talking on the phone. So it's a generational thing. I was kind of, in it that, is yep. switch over of generation where like, oh, those text SMS was so great. <laughs> we had beepers, right? <laughs> So Logan, let's uh, switch over back to you. So uh, I've got this note that says, um, don't go with the status quo. All right. So how did you get here? Um, you probably had a cushy job. You had a good job. And you're young, young family, right? And mm -hmm. what made you make the switch? 2020 is when I launched my firm. I was with a, a really, really small firm that had just started their own firm a few years before that. And so they 
hired me to be their tax director. And I took a pay cut to work there. Had a relatively new child. Yeah, I had a new child, a baby. And uh, I was at a decent firm before that, getting paid pretty good, relatively. And uh, went to be the tax per- tax director and they sold me on like, okay, well, after one year, if, if we like it, we'll, we'll offer some ownership equity in the firm because they wanted out of the tax world. They started as two CPAs that started a f- CPA firm that had really never done tax before. And they started experiencing it and they're like, no, <laughs> so they hired me to take over that while they focus on accounting work and, and all that fun stuff. And so I uh, went in and got to do everything that I saw like was, was good and efficient. And so I got to create all the processes and implement new software, hire an admin. I was, I got to like train an admin and I've never done that before. And I got to build out all the systems and workflows and it all work out. Congratulations. Where you I just thought. built somebody's business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, there came a time where it was like, okay, Logan, you know, you're going to buy into our business. And I got really scared. I said only for this amount of money for like, I'll buy your clients for this amount of money. And they weren't buying it. And I saw their, you know, I, I could see their P and L and all their revenue from tax work. And I was like, uh, if I take this on and I buy those clients, like it's going to be a struggle because the numbers don't work mm-hmm. <laughs> in my favor. It's going to be a grind. Uh, and so I got scared. I was going to try to join another firm in the area and it was a weird, really weird situation happened. It didn't work out. And then I became a contractor for the guys that I was just working with. And we had an agreement where I kind of, well, something weird happened. It didn't work out with that other firm. And I had to come back basically like, Hey guys, this thing didn't work out and I'm now stranded and in the Hmm. middle of nowhere. Uh, and so what, what can happen? They're like, okay, you contract with us. You take, you know, you take a cut of whatever you bill for, and then you buy those clients from us for 50% after tax season. And I was like, okay, that works. (laughs) And that's, it's kind of like a, an opportunity where, uh, do I, do I step up to the plate or do I go run in and and try to work for another firm? And so it it just worked out to where that the, the numbers did work out in my favor now. And so yeah. I ended up buying yeah. them in 2020 and, you know, got a little loan from my sister and to just to help front front the money, the purchase, mm-hmm. just because I didn't want to deplete everything. And uh, I just paid her off last March. Nice. Uh, so that was nice. But yeah, go don't go with the status quo because basically that motto has been like, each firm I've worked for until, you know, tell the guys that I had just worked with, cause they let me do whatever I want, which was great. That mm-hmm. helped me build how that helped me. Like I basically transferred everything to my own firm. Uh, but 
the two firms that I worked at before, I saw how they were running the firms. And I was, I saw these things like, why is it like this? Why do we have to do it this way? And just took a mental note and be like, okay, I never like, I want to do everything I can to not have this sort of situation uh, in the future. And so like, I was able to do that. Uh, Like one of the biggest things was I, I could be just going off the rails, but like they would have tax preparers basically do a ton of admin work and we're CPAs, we're knowledge workers. We don't need to be organizing work papers like in the very beginning stages of a tax return, let's say for a 1040. And I always thought you could utilize admins to do that because it's not like you don't have to have a huge skill and a lot of knowledge to organize work papers. And that's that's now what I do is I have an admin help with all the, the nice. front loading of the tax return. So I can have a tax return pretty much done, 70% done uh, before I even touch it. Thanks. Thanks to an admin. Right. I mean, that there are, there are these non value added and Steve and I were just not on the whiteboard a couple hours ago before uh, meeting with you, just kind of asking ourselves, what is the customer truly buying? What is that premium? Because a tax return is a tax return. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's you doing it or me doing it. At the end of the day, it's a check the box. You get it done. What, so mm-hmm. what is that premium? And what are customers willing to pay for that premium? Time, timeliness, accuracy, peace of mind, workflow, experience, the customer experience. Um, mm-hmm. And that's for us, that's um, it's an important like moment every few months to go back to that, to that sort of paradigm. Why are these customers buying from us and not Joe, the CPA or some other firm, bookkeeping firm? Um, and whatever that is, and they're willing to pay for it, it's definitely not the non-value added stuff. They really don't care who does the books. It's as long as those mm-hmm. books are done accurately on time, agreed upon scope, etc. Same thing with a tax. They're really not paying for all my processes and systems and really don't care about quality control. They shouldn't. They don't value that. They just value that it was done correctly. Yeah. I love going back to that because although it may feel a little like existential, um, a little theoretical, um, but it helps ground it helps ground us because it's too easy to create beasts of a process just because, you know, we're sort of like just chasing our tails. What would you have done differently? You've gone through this, you saw, you saw examples in other firms, you built other firms, tax practices, you've, you've done your own. What are some of the things you would have done differently three years ago? I would love to, uh, from the beginning to evolve my pricing faster with clients that I had purchased because my pricing evolved very quickly because my demand went up quite a bit and I was also reaching capacity. 
And so my pricing jumped from when I started from 450 to now it's a thousand dollars for minimum 1040. And all of a sudden I had all these clients that were paying 600, $500 for a tax return where I could easily charge thousand, twelve hundred dollars for. And I was trying to be nice and, but I was really hurting myself and my family. And so I didn't realize that I was just like, you know, don't do these big price jumps on all these clients because they may think bad of you. And so I was, I feared the client reaction and I'm really not a people pleaser. Like that's not really who I am, but in this case I was. And so I just didn't want to upset them and like have bad, bad press. I was also, also worried about a one-star review. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like getting easy. canceled on Google. Yeah. It's very easy. And so all those factors, I, I just kind of baby step them mm-hmm. with their pricing and this last uh, November or time frame, Yeah. Last fall about, you know, I, 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 kind of went big on a bunch of clients, you know, increasing their pricing at least 50% or more and a good chunk of clients left, uh, which was good because, uh, like, uh, there's definitely clients that I liked that left. Unfortunately, uh, it's not good that I lost those relationships, but good in that, uh, I had, I had freed up some more capacity and I definitely spent more time with my family this year and, and, I didn't really work much as much on the weekends or at night. And so I definitely had a better quality of life that way. And uh, those that stayed, the revenue increase paid for all of those that left. And so my revenues aren't down and I, and I had less work. Yeah. So I really wish I wasn't bringing in too many emotions in the first two years when it came to pricing, that's like hmm. the biggest mistake. And then the next one was just hiring. Like, I feel like I needed to be braver on the hiring because I tweeted about this. Like if you, I had heard from someone a few years ago, two years ago, that if you realize like when it's time to hire and you haven't hired by then it's too late. So like when you like, so right now I need to hire but I really needed to hire like six months ago <laughs> because of the work that I have. Yeah. We are in a human capital service-based business. So it is too easy um, and too convenient and very safe feeling of a safe zone to find the customers and then find the team, find the people. Like yourself, I hung around with a few people for about six months before I jumped into and said, you know, I can actually do this better. I am not building this for you. And one of the biggest takeaways from, well, there were two, one was revenue operations and the other one was hiring. From day one, the logo tagline here for people ops has always been build the factory. You got to build the factory first, then go find the customers. You've got to have conviction Mm -hmm. in your ability to fill, keep that pipeline filled. But your job, number one job, is to is to continue to build that factory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very rare that you find factories being built with 
you know, Tesla pre-orders for the next three years. That just doesn't happen. <laughs> you, you've got to be able to have conviction in your market and in your customers or future customers that you're going to need that capacity. So I also find that it takes a good solid three to six months, especially when you're hiring at scale, to achieve break, cash flow break even on employees. If mm. the magic number is 66% gross margin on direct wages, you do mm. the math, you know you're not going to get. You know you're not getting more than 30% capacity utilization, like real capacity utilization from a new employee for the first two months. Mm-hmm. They can barely, they don't even know how to get into systems. They mm-hmm. may have used QuickBooks Desktop or QuickBooks Online or Zero, but they don't know how to use Carbon. They don't know how to use our Slack. They don't understand the company culture and the flow of the flow of information. So yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in like, and sometimes you're like putting it on the line. Uh, you got to hire two. You got to hire three because you know you're going to have to fire two because mm. it's a tough you know it's a tough business. Um, this the first thing was uh, that you talked about what would you do differently is pricing. You know, man, that is something that we have always, always like suffered. And I'm not sure I would do it any different. But there are times where I'm like, my God, our prices are way too low. And yes, Mm -hmm. pricing is like a little more emotion than science, a little more of an art than science. Um, Mm -hmm. Because every time you increase prices, uh, you're like, oh, I'll just send an email, email blast, uh, raising everybody's prices 10%. And whoever doesn't want to come, they won't come. Well, that's not that easy. Like to terminate a customer, especially on the CAS side, I've got all of their crap for the last like seven years. There's a lot of like tribal knowledge process. Um, it's not that easy. So that price increase of 10, 15% ultimately turns around and bites us in the behind because now I've got to have two one hour conversations with that customer trying to negotiate that price and then trying to like, you know, it just sucks customer success time. So sometimes right. I'm like, oh, I don't want to raise prices. I'd rather just find a way to like automate stuff to make things more efficient or train people up unless you got to raise prices. So we are actually in the middle of raising prices for the first time in three years. And um, it's it's a time suck. It's got to be thoughtful. Man, people online, yeah. they like talk way too much, like just raise prices. Why don't you just raise prices? Because you can't just raise prices. It's not that easy. <laughs> I yeah. raise prices on 100 customers. I'm going to get sucked into 100 conversations two or three times over the next three months. It's like it's easy. It's the easy answer, but it still is pretty much the right thing. But it's like the hardest thing to like actually go through because you have to jump through the mental hoops in your mind on how you do that. And then you have to jump through all the customers hoops as well. And it has to to happen for everybody. The most wonderful thing about this industry and yet the worst thing and the biggest challenge is that on both sides of the equation, it's people, it's customers that are people and team Mm -hmm. members, employees that are people. And we don't have, we don't have to deal with machines and, too much tech, it's pretty off the shelf, right? But it's the people side of this and keeping everything balanced. Let's talk a little bit about tech. Talking about Ignition, what other, uh, what other like tech-enabled tools, workflow automations, off the shelf, what, what were some of the things that you picked up in the, in the last two years? 
Yeah. So something that I've done that I'm really proud of is my new client scheduling assistant. So if you go to my website, actually, I don't want to tell people to go to my website because I get people all the time testing it out and I get every single email, like new forms was submitted and it's just people putting like tests and then like, I don't know. <laughs> Logan's website will not be listed on the show notes. <laughs> They'll find me. They'll still find me. It happens every once in a while. But you will find it okay. on YouTube. <laughs> But I created the scheduling assistant. It could be for current clients. It could be for potential clients. It could be, and it could be for people that are wanting consultations. Mm-hmm. Or it could be for people wanting to see if they can become a client. And maybe a client just wants to be, meet with me for 20 minutes. Or maybe someone just wants to consult with me and doesn't want tax return prep. And so basically I created this insane logic tree through type form mm-hmm. and has all these different branches and endings. And what it does is it'll score if they make it to the end, which is kind of hard to do. If they make it to the end, it shoots the answers to Airtable and Airtable will run an automation for every new submission. It'll score all their answers. And so it's kind of hard to, to, uh, get rejected after you make it through the end, in my opinion, but it, uh, it's, there's still some, like, it's just an extra layer of protection for me. And so an automated email would be sent based on their score. If they score high enough, they get an, an email saying, Hey, thank you for your time. Your effort was, was, is going to pay off because you get a meeting with me and mm-hmm. here's a scheduling link, the coveted Calendly link. Uh, we charge for meetings. Here's why. And I list all the meetings or reasons why. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't score high enough, they get an email saying, sorry, we're not a good fit. I uh, hope, hope the best for you. And so basically it filters out right. like over 50% of the submissions. Like yeah. today one was rejected because they said they weren't willing to upload their previously filed tax returns. So that's a, if they say no, that's a hard cut right there in type form and immediately says, Hey, sorry, we're not a good fit. And like, if you're not willing to upload your tax returns, I can't look at them and I can't really help gauge if I really want to work with you or not. And the meeting would be pointless if Mm -hmm. like I do eventually look at your returns and be like, sorry, this isn't going to work. So I'm like a, I'm basically shielding myself from all these potential client meetings because a year and a half ago, I just got like, I was doing free meetings and just having so many meetings that weren't going anywhere. And I was getting ghosted after the meetings. And I was like, this is a huge waste of time. Yeah. And so now whenever I do have a meeting, it's usually a good percentage that they're going to, that I'm going to close with them. Nice. And that's the goal right now. So the goal isn't to try to have as many meetings as possible and me sell myself. It's just so the the likelihood of them saying yes is really high when I do meet with them. Eventually, I think that'll evolve where I do more selling during the meeting because I'll probably be more into CAS and it'll, it'll require a little bit more selling and value proposition to so where there wouldn't be as many barriers to meet with me 
but right now there there is and, yeah. yeah i don't i don't have any regrets can you talk to me a little bit about your approach to building CAS and offering CAS and what that kind of means in your firm? Yeah, I, I, I can't really tell you for sure. It's just uh, when I stumble upon a client that wants me to do their accounting, I say, okay, let's, let's have a meeting and let's talk what you want and what you need. And I'll help build out, you know, I'll do your monthly accounting. I'll do your, I'll look at your payroll. I'll make sure all your sales are reconciled. I'll, I'll do all this. I'll do all these things to make sure your financials are up to date. And then I'll provide some financial insights around your P&L or your balance sheet. And I'll be able to do an, an analysis of, you know, hey, you, you have a crazy large amount of accounts receivable right now. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, let's start like, collecting. And then, yeah, and then, you know, you probably want to contact these people. Like, here's these customers that you need to contact because they haven't paid you in a year. Uh, <laughs> and so, just yeah, it's it's really just evolving. And another reason why I want to hire somebody is to yeah. potentially help help build that out as well. It's just give me new ideas. On, oh, what we what love about sell. the accounting and bookkeeping on a monthly basis, it's a maintenance business. Um, it doesn't go under the radar because it is kind of important, but I would say for 25, 30% of our customers, bookkeeping is just out of sight, out of mind, under the radar. But it helps mm -hmm. you keep your finger on the pulse of what's actually happening at the customer so that you're not, you're not just like picking up the phone and talking to that customer once a year, but you actually, you are an extension of their team. Um, and you bring in all that value right under one umbrella um, mm -hmm. from cradle to close. And that's, um, that's actually a very powerful relationship builder. Never mind being able to maximize more revenue. We actually like, we put a lot of our business development and product development on hold uh, when we bought our first accounting business back in 2015 because we knew bookkeeping, monthly bookkeeping was the secret sauce, right? That hub and spoke. Anybody can do the taxes, right? But can you bring it all together? And it was at a time like 10 years ago, most CPA firms, like they shied away from bookkeeping. As a matter of fact, like 90% of our referrals back then came from CPAs. Hmm. Today, probably less than 5%. Your world's into YouTube. Like I was so impressed with you and how transparent and vulnerable you allowed yourself to be in a world where... There's a lot of people that talk and I'm not sure what's really behind the scenes is all that real. And you, I don't know. It was like, we are, we are definitely years apart in age. I've been doing this for a long time. It was actually quite refreshing. I would say you, uh, Scott, hmm. Scott with his accounting high and his uh, sons of CPAs and, you know, uh, and I know he was probably going to correct me on that, but I felt like the two of you were, and you kind of came into this at different times, um, but it's, re it's so refreshing to hear that level of vulnerability and transparency. Mm -hmm. So what the hell drove you to just share it all? <laughs> yeah, for so for some context, I made a video 
going over my first year as a full-time CPA firm owner. So I guess it was 2021, going over 2021 financials. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's still my number one viewed video every month. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, people want to know how to make money, I guess. So, uh, but like, I, I just, I had seen other kind of industries do that. Other YouTube creators do that. And like just offset industries like photography or something like that. Nothing to do with fin like financial industry. And no one had done that as far as I know in the accounting industry. And me wanting to like break out into getting more into video and creating content. I just thought like, man, this is, this could be like pretty interesting for somebody that's thinking about getting into accounting or running their own firm and uh, maybe they're an accounting student and they want to know like what the heck is out there for me. Someone that is just looking for a new career. And I was like, shoot, maybe I should make a video on like how much money I made and see how it goes. And I, I guess <laughs> I didn't really think about like the, how vulnerable it really was and how kind of crazy it was. Cause I literally said like, I made like I gross ninety thousand. I don't. I don't know. How, I forgot yeah, the number it was twenty twenty one, but it was like not very big. It wasn't and a quarter million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't sexy. That's for sure. And like I, I had told my wife, like I think I had like pretty much shot the video and was telling her like, yeah, I'm about to like release this video. She's like, you're what? You're telling people how much like everything, like how much you made. Cause it, it just seems so like taboo to do that. Like, I don't know. Money's a people, people are scared to, to say how much they make, I guess, and be vulnerable mm -hmm. and, and like a, and I guess at my level. And so I hadn't really thought about it until she said that. And I was like, Oh shoot. Like that is kind of scary uh, just to do that. But then I was like, eh, I, I've got nothing to lose. Like, I think, I think it'd be really cool and it would get a lot of views. I was hoping it would get a lot of views. And, and I just thought like next year I can make another video and see how much I've improved. And the next year after that, so I can just do this series over the, the first hour I launched it, it had gotten more views than all of my other videos combined. <laughs> and I was, I'm like, crazy so that, okay i think i think i got something here <laughs> what drove the views did you ever dig into that in the first hour because in the first hour it tends to be algorithmic maybe out of, out of your control yeah. a little bit and i released it like in the evening so i don't even mm -hmm. know if it was like a really good time to release it and i can't remember what day it was that might have factored into it but i think it I think I had a tweet uh, and the, the tweet like blew up. And so I think all the traffic was driven from Twitter and just because there people are like, Holy cow, look, like, look at this guy. He just released his financials and no one's ever mm -hmm. done that before. So I think it was kind of like a shock and awe type deal. Like this is crazy. Check it out type deal. That's awesome. That's courage 
It's nice. Yeah. Um, and now I, like, yeah. now I feel like I have to like double my revenue now every year for it to be meaningful. But no, I'm, I'm now spinning to be more like, well, this is how much I didn't work and how much money I still made. That's kind yeah. of the goal for 2023. We'll see. Um, and if I hire somebody, you know, that'll definitely change some things. Yeah. The uh, video you did, 2023 tax season. Busy season recap? Of, yeah. Were some of the takeaways from, from that video was kind of spinning through your head as you were putting that together. I need to hire somebody. <laughs> or I need to fire a lot of people. That was pretty much it. Just because was, that was fresh off. Uh, the tax deadline, the 1040 deadline. And I was like, I'm kind of beat up. And like, I still, I still didn't work as much as I did the year before, but I still feel beat up more than I expected. And so I was like, something's got to change again. <laughs> so I gotta, yeah. I gotta hire somebody or fire somebody. 